Are you concerned about the way this country is going? About the direction of this country? Are you concerned about the way that the world seems to be spinning out of control? There seems to be evil that is ever increasing. And sadly, we see all around us professing believers who trivialize scripture. And we see all around us with increasing frequency and intensity unbelievers attacking scripture. We feel the ever-growing hostility toward God, against Jesus, and against Christians. What do we do? How do we live in this world? Well, it seems to me that this passage really addresses these concerns that we have today. And the first thing that this passage teaches us to encourage us is to show us that kingdoms are in conflict. Kingdoms are in conflict. Now, in this passage, we read and we hear about Herod the king. And most of you are familiar that Herod, there are many people called Herod in the New Testament because Herod is the dynastic name of a ruling family. And so there are many individuals called Herod in the New Testament. And let me mention just a few that's uh, uh, more uh, important for us to know. First is Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the one who slaughtered uh, the Bethlehem infants in an effort to kill the baby who was born to be the king of the Jews. So that's Herod the Great. His son, Herod, called the Tetrarch, or sometimes called Antipas, he's the one who killed John the Baptist. He's the one who mocked Jesus at his trial and mockingly dressed Jesus in splendid clothing and sent him off to Pilate to be killed. Acts chapter 12, Herod the king, he is the grandson of Herod the Great who killed the babies in Bethlehem. And Herod the king of this chapter, he was raised in Rome, and he was a childhood friends with the future Roman emperors Gaius and Claudius. And in time, they helped him to inherit his grandfather's kingdom over Palestine and Syria. And his son Agrippa is the one who in Acts chapter 25 was sit in judgment of the Apostle Paul. Some family, isn't it? Wow. Some family. And in this chapter, we read that Herod the king, Agrippa I, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. We have seen in the course of our studies in the book of Acts that there were times and periods of intense persecution against the Christians. And at times, there were moments, a season of peace. And you remember how earlier on in the book of Acts, while the Christians were driven out of Jerusalem, 
the apostles more or less enjoyed a level of uh, tolerance uh, having to do with Gamaliel's counsel to the Jewish council. Leave these men alone. You may be found opposing God. And because of that, the apostles enjoyed something of a, a, a tolerant treatment. But it seems here that has disappeared. And Herod has killed James. James, of course, was one of the inner three, the three disciples that were especially uh, uh, favored by Jesus, being James, John, and Peter. And James was one of the well-known leaders of the church. And it seems to me what has happened is, is that by this time, the Christians' acceptance of the Gentiles into fellowship is widely known. And the Jews, who were up to that point somewhat on the fence about Jesus, could no longer tolerate the Christian teaching. How dare that they bring Gentiles into our community? How dare the gospel confronts our cherished convictions, traditions, and habits, and tell us that we are wrong. And it seems in in, uh, keeping with the Christians accepting the Gentiles into fellowship, there arose a new and intense persecution against the Christians. And when Herod killed James, that murder was received warmly by the Jews. And then Herod, uh, and I think the politicians are always the same. Uh, They are craving approval and praise. And Herod saw an easy way to increase his popularity. And he arrested Peter also. And he imprisoned Peter. And Herod intended to kill Peter as soon as the high holy days of the Passover were over. And that is to say, what we are seeing here is two kingdoms in conflict. On the one hand is Herod's kingdom. And Herod's kingdom has the power of the sword. His kingdom has the power of prison, intimidation, and death. On the other hand, there is God's kingdom. And God's kingdom on earth also has power. But it is not power as we typically think as power. Because we read here, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The power of God's kingdom on earth is prayer. When Peter was in prison, the believers gathered and they lifted up to God on their knees. They didn't raise their arms to fight, but they raised their arms in prayer to God. Prayer is the power of God's kingdom 
on earth. The church prays. And of course, the question is, is that enough? Is that enough? And that brings us to the second focus this morning, which is we see a powerful deliverance, a powerful deliverance. Notice here how Peter was delivered over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Uh, People who have studied Roman history and Roman uh, military uh, say that each squad consisted of four men, and these squads were on shift for six hours each. So Herod assigned to Peter four squads, 16 men, who each, four of them each taking six-hour shifts. And they also, scholars also say that the normal practice was for a prisoner to be tied to one soldier. So think about this. Peter is in maximum security. <laughs> but note this. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Peter's not going anywhere. And that's exactly the intent, isn't it? To keep Peter from escaping so that Herod may bring him out the next day and kill him. But what are chains? What are swords and spears? What are iron bars against the Lord who hears the prayers of his people? And so we read, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to Peter, and a light shone in the cell. And the angel commanded, Get up quickly, dress yourself, and put on your sandals, wrap your cloak around you, and follow me. And somewhat humorously we read, Peter did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Now, of course, just a few chapters before this, we saw how Peter saw a life-changing and earth-shattering vision in Joppa. And maybe that is why Peter thinks that this unimaginable scenario is also a vision that he is seeing. And it isn't until that Peter is brought out of prison, out of the city, and out of danger that he realizes Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And what follows is pure comedy. Did you see what happened? Peter went to the house of Mary where many were gathered together and were praying. And by the way, what were they praying for? What were they praying about? They are praying for Peter's deliverance, aren't they? They are praying for Peter's release. But what happens when God actually answers their prayers? They don't believe it. And so Peter comes and knocks on the door, and a servant girl named Rhoda recognized Peter's voice. And she was so overcome with joy. Isn't this comical? Instead of opening the door to let Peter in, she's so overcome with joy that she runs inside and she tells everyone, Peter is standing at the door. And what do they say? These people who are gathered to pray for Peter's deliverance and release, what do they say to her? You are out of your mind. 
No way Peter's been released. No way Peter's been delivered. And when and she kept insisting, they finally say, well, it must be his angel. <laughs> Peter must be dead. You must be seeing a ghost. You know, the funny thing is that these people really did not believe that God was going to answer their prayers. This is comedy, isn't it? And I think we should all appreciate the humor. And I think there is a purpose behind this. I think there is a temptation when when the world treats us with rage. I think there is a temptation for Christians to respond in like rage. The world is becoming ever hostile towards us, and, and our natural instinct is to respond with anxiety and tension, and even with a measure of hostility in our heart. We feel unsafe. We feel unsettled. We feel the danger. But maybe, maybe we should learn to laugh a little bit. Laugh. Do you realize what Herod is doing is what we read in Psalm 2? The kings of the earth gather themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. We should laugh because the kings of the earth actually think they can stop God. Do you remember what Psalm 2 says when the kings of the earth gather to rage against the Lord as anointed? The Lord laughs at them. And I think that's really interesting. Sometimes we wonder, why isn't God doing anything? Why isn't God doing anything to defend this name, to defend this church? Why isn't God doing anything to answer these opponents? And we think God is not doing anything. But Psalm 2 tells us God is doing something. And what God is doing is he is laughing at them. And maybe, just maybe, that's something that we should learn to do too. Laugh. The world is full of rage and anger and hostility. And they actually think that they can stop the God of heaven. And we should laugh a little bit too because even when we are trying to do God's work, it turns out we are really clumsy about it. And so much is lacking in our service. Can you imagine these believers gathered, earnestly praying, but it doesn't occur to them, not even at all, that God might just answer their prayers? (laughs) Even in their earnest prayers, they were lacking. They were insufficient. And I think we can learn to laugh a little bit, realizing that true power belongs neither to earthly kings nor even to our stumbling efforts, but true power belongs to the God of grace. And this is the powerful deliverance. And did you notice how Peter is entirely passive in this deliverance. He is 
awakened by the angel. The angel tells him what to do step by step. Get up. Get dressed and put on your sandals. Follow me. It's a completely passive receiving of deliverance. And that's comforting too, isn't it? We think so much is at stake depending upon what we do for the Lord. You know, it's one thing for us to be, try to be faithful and to make use of the opportunities that God has given us. But you and I, we are never meant to carry the burden or be so presumptuous as to think that God's kingdom progress depends on what we do. We need to learn to laugh a little bit. And I think this little comedy is exactly right and exactly what we need as we think about the rages of the world. And that brings us to the third and the last point, which is Herod's demise and gospel's progress. Now you remember how Acts chapter 11 ended with the Antioch Christians sending aid to the famine-struck Jerusalem church by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And chapter 12 begins with the words, about that time, Herod. And so it seems uh, that the people of Tyre and Sidon were also facing food shortage because of famine, and they depended on Herod's territories, Herod's uh, country for their food. And for whatever reason, Herod was angry with them, and the people were running out of food. So they came to plead with him. They came to flatter him. So they found themselves appearing before Herod. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. Uh, The first century Jewish historian Josephus, in his book Antiquities, has actually a a passage about this very event. And uh, Josephus, who was not a Christian, but he was born about the year 32 AD or so, uh, he records that Herod was dressed in a robe that was woven out of silver strands. And when sunlight hit his robe, it was so dazzlingly bright, it impressed everyone around them. And people were giving him a praise deserving uh, that only God deserved. And Herod, Josephus tells us, didn't bother to stop the people from praising him as a god. And so I think that's an interesting uh, little perspective from Josephus on this biblical account. And Luke tells us here that that the Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good flattery, isn't it? And uh, it's a real nice way of uh, pleading your case. And what occurs to me is that Herod is an antichrist-like figure. He is someone who rages against the Lord's Messiah and his kingdom, and he is someone who exalts himself in God's place. But the true king of heaven judged him. And what's really fascinating is that Luke, the theologian and the historian, is also a physician. 
And so here Luke gives both his theological and medical diagnosis. Here's the theological diagnosis. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. God judged him for his blasphemy, for his antichrist-like pretenses. And Luke also gives a medical diagnosis. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Uh, One doctor short, he was a British uh, physician. He wrote in a book called Bible and Modern Medicine. And he explains in that book that a certain intestinal parasite was common in that area, which could form a tight ball and cause an acute intestinal obstruction. And apparently this was a common condition in those days. And Josephus again writes that Herod, he had been quite worn out by the pain in his belly for five days. He departed this life. Again, that's really interesting that Josephus has an account that goes along with this biblical account. And so what has happened? Herod, in his rage, attacked the Lord's anointed and his people. Herod, in his arrogance, put himself in God's place. But the true God of heaven judged them, and so Herod is no more. But notice what Luke adds to that. Luke adds, but the word of God increased and multiplied. And we need to understand that when Luke says, but the word of God increased and multiplied, God's word increased and multiplied not in the absence of obstacles, opposition, persecution, and difficulties, but God's word increased and multiplied through Obstacles, oppositions. And I think that's something we forget, don't we? We are, of course, keenly aware that we are increasingly living in a society that is attacking anything that has to do with biblical Christianity. And we become so worried, anxious, fearful. And we might even think, Is this going to be the end of true proclamation of God's word? Is this going to be the end of church as we know it? Well, no. Because God's word increases and multiplies not in the absence of opposition, but through them overcomes them and grows. It is true, we are, we are rightly concerned about the state of the world. And yet, truth be told, the world has always been that way. The world has always been against the Lord and against His Anointed One. The world has always been hostile toward God's word. It's just that we, those of us who have had the privilege of living in a culture that was shaped by Christianity, 
It's just that we are only now beginning to realize what life has always been like for our brethren in different parts of the world. But the truth of the matter is that the world has always been like this. The world has always opposed God, His Christ, His Word. And so we need to realize what we are facing, what we are experiencing, it's not something new. The world has always been like this. And so now what? It is time for courage. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said this, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Herod destroyed James' body, but not his soul. Jesus kept his soul safe and in glory. And that is why Peter, he's sleeping in prison, knowing that the very next day, Herod intended to put him to death. Peter is sleeping. Not a care. No anxious staying up uh, throughout the night. This is the safety and the confidence that believers have in Christ. Because Peter knew, just as James did, that Herod can only kill his body, but not his soul. The Lord, however, destroyed Herod body and soul. And sadly, when Herod learned to fear God, it was too late for him. So loved ones, face the world with courage and with faith. Laugh at its threats, not because it does not hurt, but because we have hope. What is the worst that the world can do to us? The world can destroy our body, but it will never destroy our souls. And one day, Jesus will raise us, body and soul, into glory. Amen. Now let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for teaching us that you are the God of power and of grace. And thank you for teaching us perhaps we worry too much. We are too fearful and not of the right things. Help us then, Lord, to be bold and courageous and help us to see the world's threat for what it really is. Painful, perhaps, and for a time. And yet, you are the conqueror. You are the Lord. And our body and soul, which we entrust to you, you will keep safe for glory. So be with us, O Lord, in this harsh and difficult world. And enable us to live with confidence and joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.